depression, anxiety, talk about it with me. Strange dreams, same page, safe place, therapy is great, and this ain't the same, but we're crying behind sunglasses anyway. Crying behind sunglasses. Hey, 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 sunnies. <laughs> I'm Katie Dahl. Welcome to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. And by cool people, I mean like, yeah, you might be fucked up, but at least you have a sense of humor about it. Whether it's depression, anxiety, addiction, relationship issues, or just general weird brain stuff, this is a safe space and we're going to tackle it all. And then we'll try to find a way to laugh about it. Because nothing cures negative thoughts faster than a positively terrible dad joke. <laughs> Maybe a Lizzo song? Anyway, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for therapy or medical advice. Shocking, shocking, I know, but I am not a doctor. <laughs> it is purely to make you feel less alone. We've all got shit. We're all in the shit. So, hey, let's all be in the shit together and turn this shit into gold. If you need support, we have a private Facebook support group, facebook.com slash groups slash cryingbehindpod. We've also got lots of sad and funny memes on our Instagram. Or you can hit us up on Twitter with your random thoughts and feelings. Both of those are also at cryingbehindpod. Today, we are talking to Nate Johnson. He is an actor, voiceover artist, comedian, and he also works as a leadership and mindset coach. As a coach, he helps entrepreneurs and artists with their mindset and emotional resilience. The reason I brought him on to chat with us is that I recently found out Nate used to volunteer as a suicide prevention counselor. So I thought that would be a really good valuable resource for anyone out there who's struggling, especially right now because we're all isolated. And I know even for me, I don't tend to get very depressed, but it is easy to go to a dark place when you are completely alone with your thoughts and you're not supposed to leave your house. So uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this chat. Also, uh, before we get into the chat, just a little, actually a big trigger warning. Trigger warning. This episode deals with discussions of depression and suicide. If that is not your jam, then please turn this off and select another episode from the list. We've got plenty of other episodes to listen to that don't talk about these issues. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And also there is a list in the show notes of other resources that you can take a look at. Staying alive is cool. Reach out if you need help. Hi, Nate. Welcome. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Um, how has your day been? How's your isolation been so far? <laughs> uh, I work from home, um, and so I'm kind of used to it. Um, and I've been, as long as they let us get outside, I'll get outside and like, whatever, run or, uh, you know, take a walk around the park or something like that. Um, I would say like the human contact, not having that and then not being able to perform, you know, just go get lunch or coffee. That kind of stuff is, is a bummer. 
Um, yeah. But yeah. Other, than that, other than that, doing fine. So just other than the human contact element, everything's just totally fine. Yep. There's wow. Pretty much, I mean, you know, like I have taken some financial hits from, uh, from this whole thing. Like I've had some events that I was speaking at, uh, a couple events with Inc. Magazine, um, one in LA in May and one in DC in June. Uh, I've had a couple weddings that, you know, we'll see if they actually happen. Not my own, uh, but of friends and family. And oh, then. Wait, so you're saying that you're not getting married? <laughs> no, not at the moment anyway. Not that I know of. So yeah. Yeah, a bunch of things that I've missed out on financially and familiarly and with friends. But uh as far as like the day to day, it's 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 just fine. I mean, there are people that have it worse, so doing doing fine. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I think that uh during times like these, it's really important to just be grateful for whatever it is that you do have. And if you're able to stay safe and healthy and have uh, enough food on the table, it's kind of, we're all back to our basic survival yeah, needs. Very basic. How are you? Uh, I'm great. I mean, I'm excited <laughs> to be talking to you. This is the first time that I've done this podcast remotely. So uh, thank you for being my guinea pig. And I think uh, isolation has been interesting. It's been difficult because I'm with uh, my parents in Palm Desert. And although I love them so much, they don't really give me a ton of personal space or alone time. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I think I was telling you this earlier, but basically I'm As an example, tonight when I was trying to get ready for this podcast, my dad is asking me to help him fix his iPad. And at the same exact time, my mom is saying, well, my gray roots are starting to come in. You need to help me with my hair color. (laughs) And I'm just like, ah, you know? (laughs) I can't Uh, imagine being with my parents for that long. It's, yeah. I, I I, I think that I made a good choice in leaving L.A., because it is kind of as far as safety goes, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm only out here temporarily until this whole thing blows over, but I do think that being out in the desert is a little bit safer, uh, at least yeah. for now. Yeah. So, anyway, this is not a coronavirus podcast, although we are <laughs> obviously acknowledging what's happening in the world. Uh, I think, th- like I said, the main reason I brought you on here is I was. So interested to hear about your experience as a suicide prevention counselor. Uh, And yeah, I just wanted to hear more about that. I was really blown away because even though uh, the podcast hasn't technically been launched yet, I saw a real need for people to be able to connect with each other about their mental health issues. So I started a private Facebook group and Nate is one of the few people that has joined. Although I shouldn't say few. I mean, there are a lot of people in there now. You have a a very decent amount. Yeah. So I was just blown away because people have been connecting with each other and supporting each other. And it's really nice little community that's starting to grow. Mm -hmm. And I saw that you posted in there a video saying, Hey, I 
am offering my services to counsel you if you are struggling. And I think that's so generous. And I would just, I don't know, I just want to hear more about your experience. Sure. Um, well, the, the reason that I posted that is, uh, so yes, I have been a suicide prevention counselor before. I was a uh, volunteer counselor on the suicide hotline for um, two years. This would have been 20, maybe 15 to 17, I want to say. Uh, the reason I'm not doing it anymore is just because it was on the other side of Santa Monica. You had to do a four hour shift a week. It was just, it was a lot of time and I just ended up not having that time anymore, but it was, it's something that I would like to go back to. Um, yeah. I mean, traffic in LA, it kills a lot of dreams. Yeah. Well, also I would go West at noon and then I'd come back East. I live in Echo Park at four. And so it would take me like an hour and a half to get home. And it just became, uh, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so how did you walk me through it? Just give me a little like brief, I don't need, I guess, your whole life story unless you really want to share that. But um, how did you come to the decision to volunteer in that way? Sure. So uh, it was, um, you know, it was, it was absolutely, I wanted to have an impact. Um I wanted to have a, like an immediate impact, something that actually helped people in real time uh, um, and had a, yeah, had a significant role in their life, even if it was just briefly. And, and but you have, like, Sorry to interrupt. Uh, I'm just curious also, do you have some sort of background in psychology? Did you get no. educated in this? Mm-mm, no. Oh, interesting. But I've always been fascinated by that. I, I, uh, I read a lot of philosophy. I listen to a lot of Alan Watts. Um, uh, I mean, I would describe myself as a stoic as far as like following life, you know, just kind of like a day-to-day life, you know, uh, mentality, I, I, I suppose. Um, it's not a religion or anything like that. <laughs> uh, but I, in, in wanting to be a suicide prevention counselor, um, I just, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about myself. Like, you know, you're a kid and then you grow up in your twenties and you, I was living in New York city for a while in my twenties and abroad. And it was just all about myself and my own story and, and my own adventures. And, uh, when I came back to California and when I say back, I, I am from Nebraska, but I went to college in thousand Oaks, uh, then went abroad, then went to New York. And when I came back, I knew that this is where I wanted to plant my roots. So I was like, well, if I'm going to plant my roots, then I, now I want to start having, yeah, I just felt this real need to have a a broader effect on other people than myself. And also I will admit that there were like delusions of grandeur a little bit in this. Uh, It made me feel good and kind of heroic to have this position, whether that's good or bad. It's just the way it made me feel. And it made me feel, um, yeah, kind of heroic in a way. And by the way, I would not call myself that. It was just, you know, I wanted to be like saving people. Yeah, um, no, I get it. I mean, you probably got a lot out of it the same way someone would if they were on the front lines as maybe an EMT or a firefighter where they feel like they have made a direct difference in saving someone's life. Yeah. And I wasn't going to train to be an EMT. I wasn't going to be a soldier. I mean, those guys are 
those those men and women are are incredible those those people are incredible um I just wanted to do my small part to help people how I could. And I had time to give. Um, it was, it took, uh, I want to say nine weekends in a row. I might be overstating that, but it took a number of weekends in a row to, to train all day. Um, on what Saturday. is that training like? Tell me like, sure. just basically what do they walk you through? Yeah. Um, and we can link this in the podcast, but, but there's actually a training that anybody can do for a day, um, where you learn the basics of suicide prevention, and how to recognize it. Um, so you can learn like triggers to look for and indicators and red flags, um, to look for when people are feeling suicidal and you can actually then address that with your loved one and delve into it a little bit more with them. Uh, to actually become a suicide prevention counselor, it takes a more dedication. Uh, okay. and well, yeah, I mean, I didn't even know that that was online and that is not an amazing online. resource. You have to go in. Oh, okay. So it's a one day training that you could do if you're in LA. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you can do it everywhere because uh, so I worked at DD Hirsch. I volunteered at DD Hirsch, which is in um, Culver city. Um, and they, you know, calls to the national suicide prevention hotline get routed there as far as I know for people in this area. So they call the national suicide prevention hotline that routes them to, I think their nearest, um, suicide, uh, center. And yeah, so I went there for my training to Dee Dee Hirsch's facilities. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. So but anybody can, anybody can do that. You don't have to get licensed or anything, but you do have to go through the training to become a prevent, suicide prevention counselor. And that can be pretty arduous. Yeah. Like, so what are like, what are a few things that you learned? Did you have to do role playing or did they walk you through different kinds of psychology? A lot of different role playing um, they, they do walk you through psychology, but you're not on there to explain why people are feeling the way they are. You are there literally to get them to live through the rest of the day. Like that is the goal. It's not to, it's not to cure them. It's not to, to get them to, you know, completely change their mind. It is to get them living throughout the rest of the day until tomorrow. That is your only goal. Um, the biggest thing that they teach, and this is the biggest lesson for anybody who's dealing with somebody who's depressed, suicidal, um, uh, even, even, you know, something, a milder form of that. The, the idea is not to fix them or to make them feel guilty or to say like, you have so much to live for or think about your family. All of those you should not do. Um, what you should do is just imagine that they are in a dark hole and you just climb down in and you sit in that hole with them. That is the tenet, I would say, of helping somebody or being there for somebody with suicide, uh, suicidal thoughts or depression or anything like that. Just be there. Yeah, it's a beautiful metaphor. And I, I tend to agree with that. I've never had suicidal thoughts, but I have had panic attacks and... Mm -hmm if I ever call a friend or see a friend in person when it's happening, the last thing that I want them to do is ask me a question or try to fix the problem. 
Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. And you, you, like you said, you're just climbing down into this dark hole and just being there with them. And that's so powerful. Just yeah. being present for someone and just listening and letting them know that someone is there and that they're not alone. Yeah. You just want to let them know that they're not alone. And when someone's calling the suicide hotline, um, there's a reason why they're calling. So our job was to get to the, that reason. And usually you want to do it, um, you know, you want to get there like in 20 minutes or something like that. Um, but you, you, there are obviously more serious ones where they're in the process of trying to kill themselves and actually driving around or looking for the place or on the top of the building or bridge or whatever. Those Ooh. obviously you want to stay with them longer. And at that point, um, yeah, you, you do get some help on that. People patch in and they, they are listening in and stuff like that. Um, so um, just a quick question. Um, what, so on those, uh, more high risk calls. Like if someone is, like you said, actually in the act of trying to do it, what kinds of people are being patched in and listening? Your supervisor is being patched in. They're on the other side of the wall. Like they're there with you. I mean, you know, they're not, so you're in like your booth, your, your phone center booth, just like at a regular call center. It's what, you know, is what I am would imagine that's like the best metaphor I can put it as your supervisor will be there uh, to patch in with you and you can, you know, have them as your aid. Um, And then if it's serious enough, then you will have other people patching in and connecting your connecting the caller, not you, but the caller. uh, And you, you try to get their location. Right. So that you could maybe send an ambulance or something. Yeah, ambulance or the cops if they have a gun or a knife or something. Gosh. Um, yeah, this is so heavy. I mean, it's very. I feel like it's a dumb comment for me to make because obviously I knew what I was getting myself into talking about uh, suicide prevention. It's just a lot. It, it is heavy. It is, it is heavy. Um, but you, you, you know, we're all humans. You, you, you can't. Uh, by the way, I totally encourage anyone to become a suicide prevention counselor for at least a year. Um, it is not like a solemn place to work and stuff like that. It's really, you get a lot out of it. And the way that you counteract any sort of feeling down or anything like that is um, by laughing, by humor. And so you get done with your call, you go out, like, you know, you just, you just, you, you get into this humorous, you know, being a human is all about balance. And, and so how did you blow off steam after that? I mean, that's a lot to shake off. People bring cookies and stuff. Like you, 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 know, <laughs> you go out, you have cookies, you play games, you'd, you'd sit and like draw or, or whatever, you know, you're there with a bunch of other counselors. You're not on the phone all the time. Um, right. you take turns, right. You swap in and out. Um, right. So, yeah, it was it was really it was a funny place. Um, A lot of those people have had loved ones who have died and stuff like that uh, from suicide or they felt suicidal themselves. And, um, you know, again, it just all goes back to balance. You you just like 
you you still crack jokes and you still laugh and stuff like that. It is not like a solemn, dark place to work that you're going to uh, take home with you at the end of the day. It's rewarding. It's um, It can be a lot of fun. Uh, and a lot of people, most people could call in, in my experience, um, they're just looking to know that they're not alone. They just need to talk to someone. That makes sense. That, it, that makes a lot of sense because if they're calling, that means that they are reaching out for help. Exactly. And that they do want a way out. Yeah. And they want an unbiased ear. And that's yes. where you come in to, to serve the best you possibly can. That's so beautiful. So, okay. What I really want to dive into, which um, I'm not sure how much you're comfortable sharing, is just some of these calls. Mm-hmm. For example, you were saying that sometimes the people are on top of a bridge or a building or this or that. Or even, I, I don't know if it's possible to be funny. Was there ever a funny call? Oh, yeah. Plenty of funny calls. Um, A lot of times, you know, there's so much tension that the people just like, you know, end up laughing. I can't talk about anything specific. No, of course. Um, Of course. Whatever you feel, you know. But but yeah, you know, people, they want to feel better. Um, And so sometimes you get into a lot. You just you you have your basic things to, to make sure they're safe. And by the way, if you're ever on a a call with somebody, and also I just want to preface, don't take what I'm saying as some sort of training Uh, uh, or being like, oh, you heard this podcast. Now you can go help everybody. I would highly recommend getting like taking that one day course and we can link it in the, in this podcast because no, I'm planning on putting that in the description and also putting a very heavy disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast that this is not a substitute for any sort of therapy or mental yeah. health care or training. <laughs> it's mostly meant to be a way to help people demystify or destigmatize mental health, be able yeah. to laugh about it, to feel less alone. And yeah, no, I, I would, this would never be a substitute for any sort of, yeah. <laughs> No, uh, no, I just actual to- medical professional <laughs> advice. But I appreciate you saying that. Um, yes. I think, yeah, this is mostly just, it's, it's like, you know, you've, you've got your main meal, you got to eat your veggies, you got to have your proteins, right? And this is just, this is that nice dessert that's going to really top it off for you. Yeah. <laughs> just need um, to know that they're, the, re- the reason the suicide prevention hotlines out there um, and that, that services like that are out there is so that people know that they're not alone and um, that they have somebody to call. I mean, a lot of the people that you are on the phone with, if you're calling one of those hotlines, might have had suicidal thoughts before. You know, In fact, there's a pretty strong possibility that they are somehow connected with suicide. Um, yeah, that makes sense because it's like with charitable causes or volunteering, mm-hmm. Usually you will pick a cause that is very close to your heart because mm-hmm. it has either affected you or someone in your family. So yeah, it, I did that, not. that makes sense. I think I was in the minority um, of people who did not have any connection to suicide, you know, thank, thank goodness. Um, but okay. Uh, you're just going back to what we we're talking about. You were talking about stigma. I think the, f- a f- a one really good lesson is, um, 
we're not supposed to say commit suicide anymore because that goes goes back to the time when um, trying to kill yourself was a crime. So you, the, the idea to get rid of the stigma of that or to help it, you know, go down uh, uh, is to not say commit suicide. You can say, take your own life, kill yourself, things like that. And I mean, kill yourself sounds really harsh and dark, but this is something that you shouldn't exactly paint over all the time. Sometimes you just on the calls, you know, I might say, I might say that and a person never really thought about it. They would say in their mind, I'm going to commit suicide, blah, blah, blah. But when you say, or so you're going to kill yourself, um, that might be the first time that they thought of that. Um, that you would just go with the call, see the person's temperament. Um, you would lay out the baseline of, are they safe right now? For example, you'd say, uh, you know, have you taken any pills already? Um, because a lot of times people can be on the phone talking and they may have already taken the pills. You know, they may have already taken something. So you want to clarify that you want to clarify if they have a gun, uh, or a knife or, if they've gone to buy anything, any supplies to kill themselves. So you just want to make sure they're safe. Again, there are steps that you are taught, which, which uh, when you become a counselor, you lay down the foundations at the beginning of the call. Are you this? Are you this? Are you this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? It's pretty simple. It's like six questions or something like that. And that will give you the base. And from there you start your conversation from there. You start, um, talking them off the metaphorical ledge uh, is pretty rare on those calls. In my experience to get calls where they're actually in the middle of trying to take their own life. Um, right. Usually it's just people that just want to talk. They're just down and they, yeah. Or they've gone through something kind of traumatic or something like that. So. Do you ever ask them if they have cookies that they can eat? <laughs> No, we don't ask them that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Because before you were saying, you were saying, I was like, how do you blow off steam? You're like, cookies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you should come by the center. Yeah, join us. Yeah. You, you don't do that. You don't get, like, emotionally connected with the person. It's not that you don't want to. It's just that you don't. I mean, they do a really good job of of helping you to, to not be um, – uh, and it doesn't do you or anybody any good to do that. You just want to, you know, you have a manual, then uh, you stick to the book and, and then you have your conversation and then you get off. And, and you know, it's, it's also you don't want to create a dependence on getting help. You want to create uh, a sense in the person. For, first of all, again, our job was just to get them to live through the next day. That was our job. Um, uh, but as far as like, if you're helping a friend or family member or stuff like that, you want them to, um, know that they have a support network, but, uh, ultimately you want to not have them rely on other people. You want to help them get self-sufficient. And so, yeah, that's where you start referring them to help and just say that you're there for them. But, uh, uh, yeah, you can't be for, there for everybody all the time. And so you, you, you don't want them to become dependent on on anything outside themselves, but rather just to use the resources that they have around them. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's that whole saying of you want to 
give a man a fish so he can eat or do you want to teach him how to fish? Yeah. Well, so you I, just want to have them stand on their own two feet. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you give them. So, a, so. I have a question from the group. I mm-hmm. put it out to the group and, to see if anybody had questions for you. Okay. And this is a silly question, but I think it's kind of fun. Great. So since you're a voiceover artist and you obviously have a very velvety Mm. tone, but you probably also know how to do accents and other weird voices. Mm. Did you ever do different kinds of voices when you were on this hotline for people? (laughs) This is a question from Sean Humphreys, by the way. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That's hilarious. No, I definitely did not. Uh, (laughs) I mean, that actually is a really... You know, if I was to go back, that would actually be a really fun thing to try out. <laughs> um, I imagine if you're there for like ages, if you're there for years and years, then, then you'd eventually be like, I need to try something. I need to try. Yeah. Something. But you it's crazy. I mean, as a voiceover, anybody who does voiceover acting would notice this. Um, uh, that Everybody changes their voice depending on who they're with. So if you're talking to your mom or you're talking to a puppy or a baby or if you're talking to your dad or or if you're talking to a good friend or if you're talking to um, someone you're romantically interested in or whatever, your voice changes like my in my commercials and, and voiceover stuff like I haven't changed my voice or accent or anything. And it just naturally changes depending on what product I'm pitching or whatever. And the same goes for talking to somebody who is needs help. Like your voice will change. It will become more soothing. Um, as long as you're not trying to be like to, to, to fix their problem and you're being naggy or something like that, that doesn't, you know, your voice is going to change, but it's not going to change very, uh, it's not going to be very beneficial to anybody. Um, but if you are actually trying to just be there as a listening ear your voice, you I don't, like I'm doing it right now and not even trying. Your voice will get lower. Your speech will get um, slower and softer to help create a base for that person to relax into and to help trust you. Um, I feel so relaxed right now. <laughs> Good. I mean, I feel like I'm listening to a meditation tape or something. <laughs> well, hopefully your audience doesn't go to sleep. Don't listen no. to this while you're driving. Um, uh, yeah, no, it, I, I think we're, we're keeping it. We're keeping it lively. I didn't mean yeah. it that way. Uh, I and just, um, you build rapport. You, you want to build yeah. rapport with who's ever, on the phone with you and you want to build rapport, rapport with who's ever, um, even if you're really good friends, a person who's down might not trust yet that you are being accepting of their situation. So you just build rapport with them in that way and your voice will naturally change. You don't have to think about how your voice is changing. You just will change if you are just there for them. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. And body's crazy. It's interesting to think about the fact that your voice does change depending on who you're talking to. I definitely know about the dog voice because the, my voice when I talk to my dog is ridiculous (laughs) and dumb (laughs) and difficult to replicate if I'm not looking at her. Exactly. 
Uh, because right now she's not in this room. I've uh, isolated myself in my parents' guest bedroom to get rid of as much noise as possible. Uh And I like, I'm trying to think in my head how I talk to her. And I just like, I can't can't even, well, I'm also probably just too embarrassed, but I think it goes (laughs) something like, who's the cutest Who's the best? Oh, yeah. Who's the smartest little dog in the whole world? And then, yeah, my dog likes when I give her a lot of compliments. And then she, because I like to build up her self-esteem because she's a rescue dog, you know. And when oh, I first got her, she she didn't seem to have a lot of confidence. So I wanted to make sure that she knew that she was very special. Good. That's nice. That's <laughs> of you. But also, you probably couldn't help it. It's just like the way you talked to her. Right. And because she's such a small dog i think a lot of people use a high voice when they talk to her because she just looks like a tiny stuffed animal and you can't like i'm not gonna be like hey coco (laughs) come over here that would make no sense Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's right unless really interesting to think about maybe you would huh Unless she's being bad or misbehaving, then maybe. Oh, yes. No, there was actually tonight she, my parents were feeding their dog. They have a Labradoodle, of course. They got to have the designer dog. (laughs) Um, But that's another conversation for another time. Anyway, they went to put Sadie, their dog's food down. And before their dog could even get to it, uh, Coco, my dog, had sneakily got in there and ate half of her dinner. Ah. And <laughs> so I heard her little tag clanging against the bowl mm-hmm. and immediately was like, how dare you? <laughs> very, very serious. Mm-hmm. And when she hears that tone... Immediately backs away from the bowl, tail between the legs. Oh, yeah. Ears down or ears yeah. down back. Oh, yeah. So that's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about uh, the, the tones mm-hmm. of our voices and how they affect others around us and oh, yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. So so you're saying you didn't do any British accents or any weird things on the phone, but maybe if you went back, you might do some experimenting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my supervisor would tell me if I could do it or that or not um but i'd probably throw one in there uh <laughs> you know people, people americans love accents especially accents from um a lot of commonwealth countries uh uk ireland scotland oh, absolutely all of my favorite trash tv is from the uk oh yeah so i i, I think people would really dig that um yeah it would make them feel like oh it's kind of i like talking to this person it's it's soothing and because it's slightly foreign, it feels more interesting. And it's playful. Or, They're often what? It's playful. They're often yeah. very playful in their speech. And they, yeah, they take the piss out of each other, which, um, yeah, is really fun. So, got, yeah, it's like who on Love Island, which is just, uh, a very good guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, my favorite reason to watch it is because of all the slang. It's like, who fancies who? And they're snogging <laughs> over here. And then we've got brekkie that we're making for each other. And <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of what else. 
but it, you know, it's just fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I, when we were, we were talking before this, I remember because after we, after you posted that video, I called you and mm-hmm. was like, you're, you did this. Tell me everything. Mm-hmm. And you started telling me the whole story and then I cut you off and I was like, okay, forget it. I just need to have you on the podcast because this needs to be recorded. But mm-hmm. um, if you could go back and just kind of tell me, how did you get into comedy? Cause I know that that is one of your main things mm-hmm. and a big passion of yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, did that start when you were a kid or was it later in life? Oh yes. So, Okay. So I'll, I'll just give you a brief story of like how it started when I was a kid. And then I kind of abandoned, like actually pursuing it for a long time. I wouldn't say abandoned. I, I would say that I kind of finally found my, that I wanted to do it um, a lot later. But uh, I had always been kind of a clown. Um, <clears throat> I like, it was really easy to make my mom laugh and kind of a little bit difficult to make my dad laugh. Um so, uh, you know, it would be, I would be feel, I would take that as a challenge. Um, so yeah, I was always kind of a clown and, but I had a very, uh, I had a, I had a, a tough elementary school, uh, time for a couple of years there. I went through puberty. This is what we're, you're talking about. I went through puberty at, at, uh, nine years old, I started. So I've been like this height, I'm like five, nine or five, 10 since I was 12. So what? I my, yeah, my mom's five foot. So she's pretty tiny. And I passed her up in at age nine, my voice changed. And like immediately, like I didn't have hardly any cracking or anything in my voice. It just changed. And I remember what, how I remember when it changed because I could no longer sing to the Lion King uh, um, <laughs> soundtrack that we had. Which song specifically? Any of them. Any of the Jonathan Taylor Thomas songs, I, I couldn't sing anymore. Like, just one day, couldn't sing them. Uh, we had our little, you know, tape deck in our, my mom's Astro Van. Couldn't sing it anymore. So, anyways, my <laughs> body changed super early and super quick. Like, the, the growing pains were horrible. Like, my knees were my knees and joints were just like, it was, it was awful. I'd be like close to crying some nights and stuff like that. So it was, it was a quick change. Um, and of course, like I didn't have the emotional, uh, or, or, um, I didn't have the emotional, uh, um, maturity. I didn't have, uh, you know, the the ability to communicate what I wanted to. And this was a time when like, people still thought redheads had um, tempers and my head was, my hair was a lot more red back then, a lot redder. Uh, So I'd get blamed for a lot of stuff anyways. Now I'm the tallest one and the biggest one by far. So I get blamed for everything from my teachers. Um, You know, I get in arguments with my parents. Like it just had all these raging hormones and I was really, really angry. So because of all this, so I went to anger management for two years I thought everybody went to anger management because they came and pulled you out of elementary school class. And I was like, eh, it's my turn. And I thought everybody went. Well, that's so funny though, because I've never heard of anybody going through puberty at nine years old. That is an unusual situation. And 
anger management also at such a young age to me sounds unusual, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I, I remember I, when I was in sixth grade, for some reason you get a packet of all your parent teacher conference notes. They just give them to the student to take home what? from their parents as they're graduating sixth grade. So I remember flipping that. I was like, Oh, this is interesting. I flipped through it. And my parents had written like Nate, has no, Nate has no friends, uh, no. <laughs> but there was like no date on it. So I thought that it, they were like writing it right now. I was like, what do you mean? I have no friends. Was that true? Uh, at, when I was in, uh, when I was like nine and 10, it was pretty true. I had even, if, even my friends who like, I never got, this is back when you hung out like by your phone waiting for calls. <laughs> no one ever called me. Like they, I would get together with friends up until I was nine, and then from nine, nine and ten, and a little bit of eleven, um, no calls. Um, so when you were a tiny ginger, everyone was like super stoked to hang out with you. But as soon as you got taller and your voice dropped, they didn't yeah. want anything to do with you. No, I started wearing glasses. Like I really nerdy just like um but i was a class clown too so i could make them laugh in class but after that no no dice so anyways uh this funny thing that changed my it sounds hyperbolic but it literally changed my life overnight um was um ace ventura pet detective so it came out (laughs) came out when i was 10 years old 1994 that must have been uh so it must have come out in 94 um my mom rented it from my sister and I from Mr. Movies or Blockbuster or something. And uh, I thought Alrighty then was like the funniest thing I had ever heard uh, as a 10 year old. And so one big thing was I would always argue. Uh, I would always say like, why? And my parents would say, because, or adults would say, because, you know, it's what they always say. Cause they're tired of you asking so many times. Now yeah. I'm an adult and I hear kids like constantly, you know, I get it now. Um, but as a kid, I thought like, this is a perfectly reasonable thing to ask. Why? Like, to give me a reason. Um, but after I heard alrighty, then whenever they'd ask me to do something, I'd just be like, alrighty then. And I'd do this like goofy children's version of that. Um, sorry, I have dogs. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, mm-hmm. is that your dog? No. Dogs. Outside. They're barking at like a coyote or something. Um, oh. So yeah. Anyways, I'll just talk over them. Uh, it's, it's all good. You know, it's ambient sound. Yes. It's, real, it's realism. Yes. It's Hero and Hondo. They're crazy. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, yeah, it literally changed me overnight because they would ask me, I would say, all righty then. And then through, you know, um, I forget what that uh, uh, cognitive bias is or whatever, but where it's where you follow through on what you say you're going to do, a uh, confirmation bias. Um, you follow through on what you say you're going to do. And so I would just do the thing that they asked me. And overnight I realized like I wasn't getting any trouble in any trouble anymore. People were laughing at like laughing at what I said a lot more. And I just realized like, this is a lot more pleasant than me trying to know the answer to everything or trying to have okay. everything give me a straight answer. Can we do a little bit of role playing? <laughs> oh, sure. Just, I just, just a thought. I don't know. Uh, Cause I really want to hear your Ace Ventura, you know? So like <laughs> if I ask you to do something, then you can give me your Ace Ventura answer. 
All right. It was a lot cuter when I was a kid. It, come on. I think it'll still be cute. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm your mom, I guess. Mm-hmm. Nate, I need you to clean your room. Alrighty then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I was like dancing and stuff like that as a kid. Oh, you would dance also. Or like making a pose or something ridiculous. Uh, yeah. or, or putting asparagus in your teeth. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Good call. Um, I think I was very animated with that as a kid. Um, sorry, my nose is so dry. I'm itching my nose. Um, yeah, that was how that was that that changed me overnight, and it made my life so much easier. So, so I was lucky to have gone through as hard as it was. Um, I was lucky to have gone through that in elementary school. So junior high was I was awkward uh, getting through that. You know, everybody goes through that, but. And then high school, I was good. And then, you know, it was, it was, I never went through that, you know, that time that a lot of kids have problems with because I went through it already in elementary school. Wow. So I had a huge silver lining. I was glad that I learned that lesson early. Yeah. And it's really interesting when you have something that you can point to and say definitively that changed my life. Yeah. It's silly, but uh, it's true. No, I get it. I've, I've had moments like that. That pivotal moment for me, when I was nine years old, mm-hmm. my parents took me to New York City for the first time ever. And good. I grew up in LA, so this is a really big deal to go <laughs> there. And... I had already done, I think, one vaudeville show at a sleepaway camp in Fresno. Wow. Cool. <laughs> at that point. I don't know that term. Huh? A lot of nine years don't know even what vaudeville is. Well, I guess I was a seasoned professional. I don't know. Awesome. Uh, but I think what cemented it for me was going to my first ever Broadway show. Mm -hmm. And that was how to succeed in business without really trying. Nice. And Matthew Broderick was playing the lead. I was going to ask if Matthew Broderick was the lead. Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. Joy in general. I mean, you think about Ferris Bueller's day off and everything that he's done, but uh, specifically that show. I remember we were, very lucky to be in, I don't know, the second or third row. Wow. And my dad loves telling this story because I was so small and I just look craning my neck to be able to see the stage. <laughs> and the curtain came up and they have the opening number with all the lights and the dancing and the music. And my jaw was literally <laughs> on the floor, like open. Just, Aww. and my eyes were just super wide. And my dad says that he remembers looking over at me and being like, oh, that's it. We've lost her. <laughs> that's so She's cool. going to be an entertainer. That's that's it. That must be <laughs> cool. So, uh, yeah. And I do remember that show really vividly. And I remember just being totally amazed. And I, not to like sell myself short, I don't 
really have a ton of musical talent. However, I just love the magic of performance and comedy and entertainment and the spectacle. It was just, it was mind blowing. So yeah, that kind of, yeah, it exploded my seven year old brain. And then also on that same trip within the same week, I saw cats live. Wow. Which I mean, come on, you can't get better than that. (laughs) My, my mom, I remember one of the cats took her and danced with her in the, in the aisle. Whoa, that's incredible. So it was, uh, yeah, I remember after that trip, all I wanted my whole life was just to go to New York. And I did. I ended up going to, um, I lived in New York for a few years. I went to NYU for, for school. When was you there? Huh? What years were you there? Oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) I don't need people doing math. Damn it. Um, I was okay. there uh, from t- 2011 to 2014. Okay. Right. We did not cross over. And you know what? Fuck it. I don't care because I look good. Uh, I was class of 08. Oh, in college? Yes. Okay. I was class of 07. So there you go. There you go. We're the same. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just, I love that city so much. And not to be a Debbie Downer, but with the whole COVID-19 situation, it's breaking my heart every single day to see that city be so ravaged by this yeah. virus. Yeah. Uh, and I have a ton of friends that are there who don't have anywhere to go. And uh, my heart goes out to all of them. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, sorry. I just like, I can't help but like think about that. I saw on the news today that they were, um, setting up medical tents in central park. Yeah. My, my, uh, good friend I grew up with and the mother of my godson is, uh, part of that effort. So she's one of the head nurses, um, at one of the hospitals on the east side of Manhattan. I can't remember which hospital it is, but. Okay, well, I salute her for her service because that is a very important and scary job right now. Yeah. Uh, So, anyway, uh, where do we go from here? It's so hard. I feel like right now, the way that the world is, it's so nice to be able to take a break and not have the entire conversation be about that. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, did, did you have any other questions that people asked? You know, we've only got, as of this recording, I'm sure by the time this airs, there'll be thousands of people. We've only got about 188 members at this point. So we only had one question. I think maybe people are a little shy, but I have lots of questions for you. So that doesn't yeah. really matter. Okay. I think the main, my main goal with this episode in talking to you is I want to know if I ever feel like there's no hope left, right? And I feel that my life is no longer worth living mm-hmm. as a hypothetical. Okay. I'm very happy with my life, whatever. But if, if that was the case, right? Mm-hmm. 
how do I talk myself off of a ledge? What are some, I don't know, some mantras or some tips that I could use for myself in that situation? I know that's a big question, so yeah. feel free to take a minute to think about it. I just, um, I know that sometimes for me, even I, I've gotten into the habit of forcing myself to call people when I feel bad, but mm-hmm. it's not always the first instinct, you know? What is the first instinct? I think the first instinct a lot of times is just a downward spiral of sadness and wallowing. So you're saying your first instinct to help yourself is to call somebody. Oh, oh, sorry. I, I just meant, uh, so my first instinct usually is to kind of get, to get quiet and breathe. Like breathing really helps a lot because I meditate every single day. And so I, I return to that same deep meditative breathing. That's usually what grounds me. And I'll try to do grounding things like just observing things that are in the room around me. Like, oh, there's a table. There's a stereo. I'm touching this chair. I'm sitting in this chair. That really helps to kind of bring me back to the reality of the situation. I, Like I said, I'm not suicidal. So I'm dealing with my anxiety. And usually with anxiety, I'll say, okay is the thing that's bothering me in this room. No. Is the thing that's giving me anxiety happening right now? Usually no. Uh, What is the worst case scenario? Is that actually going to happen? Am I safe right now? And, you know, so I just kind of I, I do a lot of self-talk, I guess. It's, uh, it's, that's my coping mechanism. But I'm just curious as far as um, suicidal thoughts or tendencies or just feelings of hopelessness even, even if it's not gotten to the point where you are that far gone. What would you say is something that people could use to talk themselves down from the ledge there. Mm. Um, well, from a, from a strictly technical standpoint. Yeah. And this is obviously not medical advice. This is just from your experience. I would say from a strictly technical standpoint, um, call someone like, preferably someone that can help you uh, and is trained to help you either the suicide prevention hotline or 911, you know, either of those two, just just Mm -hmm. take the burden off yourself. If you're really, really that low, Uh, I have, I certainly have my own coping mechanisms as well. Um, I'm very, you know, I, I listen to a lot of stoicism. I listen to a lot of, you know, because it's just what I like. I like having it on. I like learning how to think better. Um, cause I have my, a ton of my own problems and, and insecurities and stuff to, to work myself through. 
Um, and I find that that helps anything by Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus or Seneca is incredibly helpful. Um, so you were saying stoicism. What is that? Oh, stoicism is a, um, uh, I can't remember if it came from the Greeks or it came from the Romans, but um, stoicism, it, so usually the word stoic, you think of like somebody who just has no emotions or something like that. But yeah. everybody has emotions. Stoicism is a way to to uh, not let those emotions affect you. Um, or, or, or when they do affect you, like realizing how to work through them. So... There are three main Stoics, um, Marcus Aurelius, who was the emperor of Rome in like 140 or something like that. He was the emperor of Rome for not that long, less than 20 years, I think. Um, then there's Epictetus, uh, and then there's Seneca. And um, uh, one thing that has really helped me with them is they focus a lot on death, but they focus on it on in a way that's like they become comfortable with it. So then that liberates them from it and it makes their life richer. And you're not going to, there's no getting probably not going to be too many light bulbs that click. It's like, Oh yeah, that's the answer from this podcast. I recommend going and listening to some YouTube videos uh, with them. Um, But I think I started reading it when I was 19. Uh, Marcus Aurelius's uh, meditations, which were notes he was writing to his son. They were never meant to be published. Um, and they were really powerful for me. And they're very simple. Uh, and yeah, this is like, it's hard to like encapsulate stoicism in one. No, of course. I, I just wanted kind of like a Cliff Notes version. And I think that you've. Yeah. And then Alan. Definitely Ford. given us a lot to think about. And I will be looking those up because I am always interested in finding more resources i'll send you some stuff i've I've said a few friends who have felt extremely low a few friends from the pack um i've sent them some of these videos when they're feeling the the pack theater for any of you who are listening that don't know what that is and aren't in los angeles (laughs) is actually uh the way that nate and i met uh so that's a comedy theater that we both do things at yeah but, uh, but yeah, you, so yeah, I'll actually, I'm going to include that in the episode sure. guide or episode notes. So yeah. that'll be great. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and to share your experience. Um, I know that this is a really difficult topic to discuss, Uh and also a difficult topic to find any sort of humor in. So, you know, I, I I appreciate your, your spirit in that. Of course. I'm uh, always open to talk about if you, if you are actually suicidal, if you're feeling, or if you're feeling just depressed, you don't have to wait until you're feeling suicidal. You can always call the suicide prevention, uh, the national suicide hotline. Which yes, we, which I, we will put into the show notes. But if you want to say it, I don't know if you yeah. have it off the top of your head. Yeah, it's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. One eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Yeah, always call them. Um, but but you know, if you can, if you can recognize it, if you're you know, just remain self aware, pay, pay attention to what you're thinking. Just 
keep just keep people informed with how you're doing there. You know, there are a lot of people who just like, there are a lot of people who just complain all the time and, and can be a real burden and stuff like that. And, 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 um, as bad as that sounds like, you know, you do want to just, it, I think it was like Chris rock or something like that. Uh, it might not even be from him actually, but I think I've seen it. He's like, He's like, I, my car would break down. A lot of people wouldn't help me. But then when I got out and started pushing my car, that's when people would help me. And uh, whether or not it's from him, the point is, like, if you start helping yourself, if you start taking action um, towards helping yourself, people will be much more inclined to help you, uh, even without you asking for their help. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I mean, I... Whenever, whenever I'm going through a difficult situation, whether that's losing a job or dealing with family drama or relationship issues, I have, I'm very grateful to have a network of different friends who I can call and I've built those relationships and I know that they will pick up the phone for me. Yeah. And that's not something that everyone has. So it's great that these hotlines are available. And by the way, there's, there's the Trevor project, which is for yes. the, the LGBTQ. I don't know all the acronym now. It's it, when I was a suicide prevention counselor, which was like only two or three years ago, it's LGBTQ. Now I think it's more. Um, it's LGBTQIA plus. I think they put a plus at the end so that everyone feels included. Perfect. But again, I could be wrong on that. So then, then, I mean, the national suicide prevention hotline, even if you call them, if you say like, I'm part of this community, they will route you to that, to the Trevor project. Yes. Yes. There's- and that is something that's really important to think about because people who are in the trans community or in any of the queer, et cetera, et cetera, kind of communities, mm-hmm. they are much more affected by these um these thoughts because they are dealing with so much more than people who are just like quote-unquote normal heterosexual people because by definition because of the way our society is set up they're seen as different you know and it can be very difficult so i i empathize with that a lot i have a lot of friends in those situations and I do as much as I can to show that I'm there for them, but um, it's, I I can't even pretend that I know what that's like. Uh, All I can do is, is, is be there and say, Hey, I'm your, I'm your friend. You can call me anytime and and provide any kind of resources I can. But I, um, yeah, I, I think that that is so great that the Trevor project has that hotline. Mm hmm. And there's hotlines I, for young yeah. people as well. And, and, you know, you talk about uh, kind of like outliers of society or, or, you know, maybe feeling like you're an outlier of society. Um, you know, one of the, I I'm not sure the statistics, but I think it's the biggest, but it might not be, but I think the biggest demographic of people in the United States anyways, who take their own lives are, are white males. Um, interesting. So, so it because really does theoretically, matter. theoretically, they're the most privileged out of all of us. Yeah, theoretically. 
Um, everybody's got their own story, but, uh, you know, from, from where they come from, but it doesn't, my point is like, it doesn't matter where you are in life, how much of, if you're an outlier, you know, you might feel like you don't belong, but if you're a, a white male like myself or something like that, you might think I'm not deserving of this type of help because other, other people have it so much more difficult than me. So like, there's always, if you're a human, there is going to be some sort of isolation that you feel at some point in life and just don't the point is like don't judge yourself so much that you don't actually start seeking help and preferably start seeking help uh before it becomes before you start getting actual suicidal thoughts that's a great note to end on and something else that we didn't mention at all in this podcast which i'm a firm believer in is therapy everyone should be in therapy (laughs) in my opinion i think if you're I, I mean, I, I hesitate to prescribe something to everyone, but in my opinion, usually there's something in your childhood that happened that fucked you up, and it's your job as an adult to take responsibility, take ownership, kind of understand where you came from, how it affected you, and how what kind of person you're going to choose to be moving forward, um, in addition to any sort of just chemical imbalances that you might be dealing with. But um, having a really good professional therapist is something that can be life-changing. And even if you don't have one or don't think you can afford one or don't know how any of that works, um, again, I'm repeating this because I don't, I'm not super well-versed in all the resources, but if you call the suicide prevention hotline, jump on the phone with them for 15 minutes, they will give you the resources that you need. So if you don't know uh, how any of this works, you don't feel like you have any money or anything like that, call that number. They will, they have a directory right there. They can help you out with that. And then I would say like even bigger than therapy, um, just like a foundation of life, just try to surround yourself with people that make you feel good in life, make you feel better and that are actually good for you, good for your life. Um, Because that, at the end of the day, is a is a foundation that you need to start. Uh, they, they they will benefit you for the rest of your life. I think a big solution for me, uh, and whenever I'm feeling down or whatever, is and to get myself out of my mind is to start helping other people, whether it's volunteering or or you know calling somebody to make them feel better. Um, I don't think that it takes a doctor to realize that those are good things for you to do and it will help get you out of your own head. Yes, absolutely. Because if you surround yourself with good people, then they will check up on you. They will give you a reason to keep going. And that is really worth everything. I I believe very firmly that at the end of your life, yes, we can all accomplish things and put trophies on our shelves and win awards and make money. But when you're at the end of your life, what really matters is your relationships. Yeah. And it goes back and yeah. forth. You helping them too. Absolutely. Yeah. No, because when you, when you put in, you put whatever you put in, that's what you get back. So I think that's a beautiful message and um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. So uh, yeah. do you, uh, if people want to find you on the internet to either 
cast you in their next great role mm-hmm. or talk to you or tweet at you or whatever? How can they find you? Okay, sure. Uh, well, my website's pretty simple. It's natejohnson.com, but the Nate is N and the number eight. So instead of N-A-T-E, it's n8johnson.com. So you can reach me there or reach out to my manager there. Um, and then as far as coaching or if you just want to get on a call or something like that, um, I always like to gift people um, uh, an initial call first and uh, they can, we can just, it's an actual call, like an actual coaching call where we like really hit on some deep stuff. So they'll get a lot of stuff out of it from that. Um, you can email me, uh, Nate at Nate Johnson. That's a regular Nate, Nate at Nate Johnson dot coach. Um, yeah, you can email me there. That's so generous of you. I really appreciate you offering that to people. Of course. Because coaching is great. And not only are you trained a little bit in helping people who are struggling, but also you're trying to help them to figure out what their goals are and, and in a positive way, seeing how their life could look moving forward. So that's great. Yeah, I enjoy it. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. Um, do you have any any last words to leave people with? Uh, I, yeah, just like you're not alone. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, just know however unique you feel uh, in whatever thing you're going through. Like you're, you're not alone. There are resources out there for you. Um, so, yeah, be sure to utilize them. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Nate. Cool. You bet, Katie. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe, follow, rate, review, or share it with a friend who also has a weird brain. Next time you're crying after therapy, just throw on your sunglasses, take a walk outside, and breathe in some fresh air. This world might be fucked up. You might be fucked up. But fuck it. At least... I just want you to know that you are not alone. I'm Katie Dahl. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Katie Dahl. That's K-A-T-Y-D-O-L-L-E. And you can follow the podcast at Crying Behind Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and all the other platforms. And our Facebook private support group, y'all, it is popping off. It is a fun, supportive, cool place to be. If you want to join that party, it's facebook.com slash groups slash crying behind pod. And until next time, stay safe, stay sane, stay sunny. <laughs>